Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for thee. For Jesus' sake. Joseph, you are amazing and a little scary. You don't look scary. In all those stained glass windows and crack settings, you look harmless. You look benign, so gentle and unassuming that you almost disappear. But then I read that Thomas Aquinas, a really smart guy fellow, who said that you were the greatest of all the saints. I've been thinking about that, thinking that maybe he was right. So Joseph, I want to ask you some questions this morning. When you woke up from the vision, when you woke up from your sleep, did you just get right up and go straight to Mary and say yes to God by saying yes to her? Or did you, when you awoke, fix yourself some hot Palestinian drink and go and sit on the back porch and stare off into the darkness beyond the Galilean hills, waiting for the sun to rise. And during that time, did you write out for yourself some sort of pro and con sheet? What would happen if you were obedient to God and what would happen if you weren't? It's an important question to me, Joseph, because you see, when the word of God comes to me, that's what I do. I don't get right up and go do it. I, I sit there and sort of play it out in my mind. I write my pro and con sheet. I weigh the risk on both parts. Sometimes the word of God comes to me in scripture. I sit down, I read my daily scripture to reinforce what I know and believe. And every now and then some word or phrase will jump out and grab me and call me to some new realm of existence I've never known before. And I hesitate there, on the border between thought and action. Sometimes it comes to me in this Eucharist, in some liturgical phrase or hymn. It will leap out at me and it will become for me in that moment a word from God. Sometimes it comes in a sermon by a clergyman. Sometimes it comes in a conversation with a friend or a testimony by a parishioner about what God is doing in his or her life. But however the word of God comes, it comes calling me to risk. So Joseph, when the word of God came to you, did you understand the risk? I mean, there was risk. First of all, when you were engaged to Mary, she was not pregnant, and now she is pregnant. And we know that between that time in Nazareth and then later in Bethlehem, you chose to marry her. And during the wedding ceremony, if she was not great with child, perhaps she was at least noticeable with child. And when the people came to the wedding ceremony, did they point at her tummy and nod and whisper? Whisper about you? Did they ask questions and poke one another? If one of the groomsmen had jokingly said, ask you if you were the father of the child, ha ha, what would you have said? I mean, there was risk. And that risk must have brought great fear into your life. We know, Joseph, that you died sometime before Jesus began his ministry and left home at the age of 30. So this risk committed you for the rest of your life. Did you want that? Did you want to take that risk? 
Did you wonder whether the child would even look like you? And then when the child was born, I mean, what sort of child would he be? Oh, yes, the Messiah, the Christ, we all know that, but you had no more idea about what the Christ was going to be than any other Jew at that time. That was a risk. And there must have been great fear in that. I know there must have been great fear in that because when the word of God comes to me, Joseph, I have great fear about going where I've never been and maybe losing something I can count on, doing something new, taking the risk in the adventure of faith. There's a bumper sticker in our time that spells the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, and it says, explaining the acronym, forsaking all, I trust him. Now, I like the part that says, I trust him, but I don't like the part that says, forsaking all, it's too risky. And then I remember that a favorite philosopher of mine, Soren Kierkegaard wrote, without risk, faith is an impossibility. Our time, Joseph, is not a time of risk taking. Some while ago, I had a friend who was an actor on Broadway. Many years ago, I was talking to him and I asked him why it is that so many Broadway plays at that time were reruns. He was in Brigadoon. Other plays at the time were Pygmalion, The Elephant Man, all of them reruns. December Magazine, December 24, 2005, noted that four of the top 10 theaters of plays at the time were reruns. Grease, Pygmalion, Hamlet, Eurydice, all of them the old reliables. And I put it to him, why is it that today Hollywood, I mean uh, Broadway, is not taking risks? And he said to me that that was not only the spirit of Broadway, that was the spirit in America. All the country is adverse to taking risks, going instead with the sure thing, that play which however worn is sure to pull the crowd and the money. That's why we had Rocky two, three and four, and Friday the 13th, eight, nine and 10 and later Home Alone 2, the carbon copy, and later Shrek, the rerun, and National Theater, to Treasure 2, and Fast and Furious 13, and now Spider-Man, the never-ending story. Nothing new, nothing different, nothing risky. I used to work with teenagers, Joseph, and I discovered that when we'd go out to eat, their choice of place, they'd never go to someplace new or different. They wouldn't hunt out for the unexplored avenues. They'd go to Wendy's or McDonald's or Pizza Hut, the reliable if mediocre dependables of life, bland but sure, double cheese and no toppings. It's not just the kids. I know adults who have gone to, to London or Paris and Venice and have eaten at, I'm not making this up, at Pizza Hut on the Strand, or Wendy's by the Louvre, or the Golden Arches on the Grand Canal. And they could have gone to St. George and the Dragon Pub, or Louis Sidewalk Cafe, or the Doge's Palace, but there they are at the Golden Arches. No adventure, no risk taking, no memories, just the bland, sure thing. And I see the same thing in the church that the spirit of the church is to do what we've always done before. Some wag has quipped that the 
seven last words of the church are, we've never done it that way before. Let's all be very comfortable and say right where we are. Let's not get out of step, even if a word of God comes and calls us to an unknown newness of life. Joseph, what enabled you to play it differently, to say yes to God by saying yes to Mary? Of course, one's whole life is risk taken, I suppose. When a little kid goes off to school in kindergarten or first grade and the teacher says, what is two and two? And some of the children raise their hand. That's a risk because it might not be what they thought it was. And a little kid over here decided not to raise her hand because although she knew it was four, she didn't want to take the risk. When you're a bit older, you go down to the park and you play some sandlot baseball or some tag football and you choose up teams, but that's a risk because you might be chosen last. I mean, somebody's always chosen last and it might be you and that's a risk. And maybe it's better simply to stay home and not to try. When you get a little older and start to date, I don't know what it was like for you, Joseph, but I know for me, there was enormous fear in calling a girl on the phone. It took me three days to call the first girl I ever called on the phone. And two hours I sat staring at the phone. I mean, there's the risk that she might say, Brad who? Or she might say, I wouldn't go out with you on a bet. So many young men fear to take that risk. Many summers, Joseph, as a priest, I marry people at chancel steps. I suppose maybe I'll marry someone at these chancel steps. And whenever I see these couples, I think there's risk involved in that. I mean, those young girls always say to their mothers, Mama, when I meet the right guy, will I know? How will I know? And the mamas always say the same thing. Sweetheart, when you meet the right guy, you'll know. But she doesn't know that. It's a risk. A dad one time told me that when everybody else had processed in for the wedding ceremony and he stood alone with his daughter at the back of the church, she leaned over to him and asked, Daddy, tell me that everything's going to be okay. And that father was a very gentle and wise man. And so he lied <laughs> and said, Sure, sweetheart, everything's going to be just fine. But he can't promise that. Marriage, like the rest of life, is a risk. And then there's the kids. Oh my goodness, the kids are a gamble. You don't know what you're gonna get. Their free will will be their own. Their interests will be different from your interests. Their friends will not be of your choosing. Having children is an enormous risk. What am I telling you, Joseph? Joseph, when you said yes to this child, I mean, he wasn't even your own flesh and blood. And that was a risk. And when the angel came to you, Joseph, and said, do not fear, it seems to me that every time an angel of the Lord comes in scripture or in a sermon or through a friend, it seems that whenever the angel messenger comes, they're always saying, do not fear, because we are full of fear afraid to launch into a new area of faith. We like to cover our bases. We like to keep our options open. We like to hedge our bets. And yet there are some things in life that you just can't do that with. When you make a decision, 
You cut off yourselves from a lot of alternatives. You lose your backups. You forsake your options. When I was in high school, there was a popular country western song uh, by an American singer by the name of Tammy Wynette. And she tells the story of two high school girls, Kate and Edith, vying for the attention of the hero of the story. And Kate, Tammy Wynette, ends up marrying from her and all seems to be well, but he goes to bully night and he goes to card night with the guys. But eventually Kate discovers, no, he's really sneaking off to be with Edith. And when the hero, the husband comes home, Tammy Wynette's standing on the front porch singing, as only Tammy Wynette can do, oh, you can't have your Kate and Edith too. Well, that's true. For example, in the marriage service we say, and forsaking all others, I cleave only unto you. Forsaking all others. I'm giving up all those other gals. That's what the word decision means. Joseph, you must have picked up some Latin in your time. And the word decision comes from two Latin words, scission, which means a cut, and day, which means from. So scission is simply a cut, and incision is to cut into, and excision is to cut out of, and a decision is to cut from something. Think of a rowboat or a boat of any kind tied to a dock, and you want to go out into the adventure of that wide water, but you're tied to the dock. You cut the rope so that you are free to go to the adventure. Because I've chosen this option, I cut myself from the possibility of that option. And Joseph, we live in a time when people say yes to God all the time, but they never say the corresponding no. In baptism, we have three affirmations to believe in Christ, to stand on Christ, and to follow Christ. But there's also three renunciations to renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil. In confirmation, there's a strong reaffirmation of faith, but an equally strong re-renunciation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. In the Eucharist, people come and they say, and here we offer and present unto the O Lord ourselves, our souls and bodies. And then they walk out of this church a moment later and they give their selves and souls and bodies to a whole pantheon of anti-gods. How did you make your decision, Joseph? And make it stick. I need your help. There's something about making a decision for God which is irrevocable. You can't ever take it back. You know the story, Joseph, about the salt doll? There was a salt doll that lived in the Midlands, but it heard about the ocean and was thrilled to think about the ocean, that that water just went on seemingly forever. And to the left and the right, it just seemed to go on and on. And maybe it went down and down and down into the depths. And the salt doll said, I want to see the ocean. And so traveled to the very shore and then looked out and saw the mystery of it and the beauty of it and said, I want to know the sea. And so the salt doll walked into the sea and as as it did so, its feet began to dissolve, but it continued to go into the water and its calves began to dissolve. But it said, I want to know the sea. 
and then its thighs began to dissolve, and then its torso, and then finally its head disappeared. And as the head disappeared, the voice came back and was heard by the people on the shore. Now I know the sea, for I am in the sea, and the sea is in me. And I think you understand that story, Joseph, because I think you are the salt doll. And I want that. I want to stand up and say, I believe in God the sea, the same way that salt doll stood up and believed in God the sea. And I know that I cannot do that without making an irrevocable decision, without losing something that I can't ever get back. But I believed it was the right thing to do. But that's a risk. And without that risk, there simply is no knowing God. Joseph, as I think about you today, as I think about what you did when you awoke from your vision, help me to understand how to take that risk in faith and trust, because the word of God calls me to a new level of the experience of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.